0: You are Locked On Rockets, your daily Houston Rockets podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day.
1: And the news keeps on coming. Russell Westbrook, Tyson Chandler, and even former number one overall pick Anthony Bennett. The agreements are now coming fast and furious for the Rockets as NBA Free Agency enters its third week. So to try and piece everything together, well, that's what we're going to be doing today here at Lockdown Rockets, your podcast home for everything Houston Rockets basketball. As always, I'm your host, Ben DuBose, Rockets correspondent with Sports Talk 790, the team's official radio flagship in Houston. Today's show is brought to you in part by Hotels.com. Don't hate like your friend's trip. Book your own with Hotels.com and get rewarded basically everywhere. Hotels.com. Be there. Do that. Get rewarded. In today's show, on this Sunday, July 14th, we're going to be getting some national perspective on this recent wave of transactions. To do that, I'm joined by my friend Matt Moore, senior NBA writer for the Action Network and perhaps best known as HP Basketball on Twitter. Matt, thanks for coming back to the show. How are you?
0: I'm doing well, man. I'm doing well. It's been uh, it's been quite a summer, and I'm trying to wrap my head around everything that's happened, but I'm, I'm glad to be back on the show, and hopefully being on the show can help me clarify some of my own thoughts about uh, what's happened with Oklahoma City and Houston and the Western Conference in general.
1: Yeah. Um, let's get the jokes out of the way first, because <laughs> going back to the great 2017 MVP debate, which, full disclosure for our audience, you were a hardened supporter in that race, but... Going back to 2017, I know you've been at least a little annoyed since then at the shade from Rockets People that's been directed at Westbrook, and that does certainly include me. I'll own my part in it. Anyway, how much are you enjoying seeing these same people, again, myself included, now looking for ways to defend Russ?
0: Something has broken to me. The internet has broken me very badly because my first reaction, my first reaction upon hearing that Russell Westbrook was traded from the Oklahoma City Thunder to the Houston Rockets was not, wow, what does this mean for the West? Or, wow, can Houston win a title? Or, oh man, can you believe those Thunder teams didn't win? My first thought was, I have to go back and read the receipts. I must go find the old tweets (laughs) from Ben... And Rahat and everyone else that has been so obnoxious about Westbrook. I, I was telling my wife, I was like, the only people that hate Russell Westbrook more than Rockets fans are Warriors fans. Up until about, oh, four days, five days ago. And now all of a sudden, no, instead he's a great player and a, and a worthy MVP and definitely part of the team. Um, it's been pretty amazing. The funniest part was that night was seeing the initial reaction of, oh, God, this guy i've hated and then like well man i love chris and then like the slow transition to i mean the rockets are really good and we're really smart and they wouldn't have made this move unless they they thought it could work to by the end of the night being like this can work we can do this this is going to be
1: fine it's been incredible to watch the transformation so you wrote a really interesting column about it on the action network looking at how it could work and how it might not basically what it came down to for you was that it can work, the talent is there, but that if Mike D'Antoni and the Rockets just plug Russell Westbrook into their offense from a year ago and make, basically make him a new version of Chris Paul, that it's going to fail. What are the things that they need to do differently to optimize this for Russ?
0: I think they got to rebuild the offense from scratch. I really do. I mean... I just think when they traded for Chris, uh, I was initially like, oh boy, I don't know if this is going to work or not. But then like, I talked myself into it pretty quickly. Um, and then like, I talked to Mike D'Antonio over the summer. I was lucky enough to get a phone call with Mike. And I asked him about the whole process. And he's like, I'm not really honestly that worried about that. Like, these are two really great players. They're going to figure it out. I just got to not get in the way. And they did. It's just that Chris, you could Chris and Harden are similar. They're both brilliant passers. They're both efficient shooters. Um, they don't possess like otherworldly athleticism in terms of explosiveness. Like Harden's really athletic, but not to the rim. Mm. Um, like he's not just gonna like he's not gonna like jump from four feet out and dunk all everybody. Is my point. They're similar in a lot of ways, mm-hmm. and so you could use the isolation offense in order to kind of, like maximize what they are capable of doing. Russ is just so different from everything else. Like, he's just so different. Like, he doesn't shoot threes great. He does a healthy amount of mid-range stuff. He ISOs, but he also likes running pick-and-roll. That's his bread and butter. I don't think they have to start necessarily from scratch in terms of, like, they got to build some sort of weird – it's not like adding, like, Nikola Jokic or Karl-Anthony Towns. But it is, like – I think one of the things is they transitioned away from, okay, we're going to run Harden-Capella pick-and-rolls 50 times a game to, oh, we're going to run Harden-Capella pick-and-rolls, like, 20 times a game, but mostly we're going to use it to get isos, and we're mostly just going to isolate all the time. I think if they just go back to, we're just going to run spread, pick, and roll. Um, we're going to play up-tempo. I think that's one of the biggest keys. Is like they got to play, I, I firmly believe, they've got to play more up-tempo. James should be able to do that, because he's not going to have the offensive load that he has had the last two years, because uh, Russ has got to get touches. And Russ is going to have shots, so like that should allow him to be like, all right, let's let's get up the floor just a little bit. Um, I don't necessarily know that you got to go full on fast pace, but you do at least have to give do a little bit more up tempo. And to be honest, that's been one of Russ's problems too. It's like Russ is either in a fast break or he's walking the ball up, and like there's got to be a medium ground there of you got to play up tempo, you got to get a little bit more motion into the offense. So that's not Russ throwing himself against a four-player brick wall, trying to find a shooter, and that you can find a, l- a few more deviations, a little more subtleness, a little more nuance in the offense. This is good, just going to be a lot more delicate, I think, than Harden and Chris were.
1: We've already heard Harden, courtesy of Jonathan Bagan of The Chronicle. Apparently, he told Gerald Morey and the Rockets' brain trust in the days leading up to the deal that he was more willing to work off the ball with Ross. Now I know words are one thing, actions are another, but at least his head, his heart, they're in the right place right now. As far as Russ, what differently does he need to do?
0: I think a lot of it with with Russ is going to be balancing out. A lot of it just, this is like real simple. um, Point blank. He's just got to take fewer dumb shots. And, I wrote a whole thing last year in midseason about how it was called it was titled Russell Westbrook is not having the season you think he is. Uh, he had one of the worst shooting seasons of any star. He had the I'll say it, he had the worst shooting season for a star player in NBA history. Like that's a fact. Like he just he did. He had the worst shooting season for a star player in NBA history. So there's definitely like that's a pretty low bar that he's gonna get above. But the other thing is he would have these stretches where he would defer to Paul. And he would enable the, the offense and he trusted Jeremy. And in those moments, the Thunder offense really did tick up into being something efficient and powerful. And that's when I really started to be like, like this team could be great. But Russ would always have these moments where he would backpedal. Like, he would just like fade back, back into it. The biggest thing is like late in games, this is actually a really interesting question. So, Mike is always, Dantoni's always, always coached. Like, You got a shot, shoot it. I want you to shoot it. I just don't want you to be afraid. You miss it, I don't care. Miss it again. Miss it 50 times, don't care. I want you to shoot it again. Rajah Bell talked about that. And that was in Phoenix. Um, But it's not like the Rockets have been gun-shy, right? Like, if they catch the ball off of a hardened pass, you got to get the shot up. So on the one hand that confidence may empower Westbrook, and maybe that does something and raises his percentages. But Russ just has a very bad tendency to be He always goes for the hero shot. He always goes for the kill shot. He always goes for the big shot. Him and James both do. And I think that having two guys on the floor at the same time in a four-point game with 220 to go is really dangerous. Like, that's the biggest thing, because he's going to have to manage that. Um, I can't expect Russ to do a lot of things that would help. Like, if Russ were to scream more... On and off ball, that's going to make a revolutionary change in the offense. Everything gets better then. I can't expect Russell to do that. He's never done that. He's never wanted to do that. He thinks that's beneath him. I have zero faith that he'll do that. Um, I can't believe that Russell is fundamentally going to become more of a catch-and-shoot-drive kind of guy. Uh, I think that that's a little bit weird for him. He's used to basically, if I don't have the ball, I'm going to disengage. i got to see if he can do anything else. Like This is one of the benefits of Harden is like, Harden is willing to do other things and is able to do other things. They're not crazy to him. And he's a little bit more flexible. Like his just play style just and his skill set enables him to be a little bit more flexible. And it's a credit to him, honestly, that he's like willing to say, like, yeah, I'm, I'm willing to play a little bit more off ball. Like, this is a guy that's been second in MVP or first through the last four years. And for him to be like, Yes, I'm willing to take a step back is an incredible show of sacrifice. Um, the question is gonna be like, is Russell willing to beat him halfway? Can Russ me. This has been a big thing is we think of Russ as like as if it's a choice, and I've talked to coaches that have been like, I don't think it is. Like this is just how he's wired, man. Like this is what he took over and it was like his team, even though Durant was there and Durant was the best player, it was Russ's team because like Russ doesn't know how else to play. So the question is like, where's his head at? How does he feel about it? What's he willing to do? These are all things that we don't know the answer to that are really crucial for de- determining how high
1: Houston's ceiling is gonna be next season. We're on the phone now with Matt Moore, senior NBA writer for the Action Network. This is Locked on Rockets. I'm your host, Ben Dubose. Matt, one of the more encouraging things that in your initial research that you've dug up is how much of a correlation there might be between just his truly woeful shooting numbers and injuries. For example, last year, the first two months of the year, it was after he had the scope in September. He missed training camp, had no preseason. After the All-Star break, he was at 34% from three, which, while not good, it's not just woefully bad. It's not Corey Brewer. And the two years before that, his catch-and-shoot numbers were at least passable. Obviously, in Houston, Daryl Morey thinks he's going to get more open looks than he ever has before. They don't typically give many red lights, especially to their guards. Just curious, when you look at the numbers, is there hope that especially if you get in better looks in Houston, that his shooting can possibly get to a passable level?
0: Yes, um, there's actually there's actually a pretty fair amount of information that says that uh, as a spot up shooter, he can be decent. Like he was good in 2018. Uh, uh, he was good in 2016, I think. Uh, no, 17. And then 16, he was he was really bad. So it's been like off and on. Like he has the capability for spot up shots to be pretty good. If he were to embrace that role, it would it would actually be really interesting. Like Russ, I think I have a lot of confidence he can hit catch and shoot. Knockdown shots, uh, especially if he's got a higher energy level because he's not having to do everything all the time. I think that there's a high capacity for him to be able to do that. Um, you mentioned the injuries. Like, that was something I didn't really think that it was going to bother him. I was like, look, I've I've done this long enough. I've seen a million guys go through arthroscopic. They come back and they play. It's no big deal. And a friend of mine, Jared Dubin, who works at 538, was like, no. It really does. Like there's there's a downtick in production. If you go look, like anybody getting a knee scope, like it's gonna it's going to impact them. I was like, no. So I went and looked at, at like the research, and then somebody actually did a study, and it showed that 14 months after having your knee scoped, NBA players saw a decrease in efficiency, particularly in field goal percentage that was the number one area that they suffered in um what got lost last year as part of the article i talked about was that he actually had career high numbers at the rim he was 67th percentile last season at the rim he was finishing layups that he had missed the year before in 2018 that's a really promising sign for all the talk of like oh i don't know is that his diminishing athleticism russ is finishing layups better it might honestly be a good thing for him that he slows down so he can finish a little bit better and so if, if he just this is one of the reasons I think everyone was like, Oh, more is not going to work. And I was like, I don't know why you would think that the two things Russell Westbrook wants to do are dunk on you and shoot over you. Those are the two things that he wants to do. Now. I don't know if the former is going to work. If he's just dribbling into threes, that's bad. But if he takes all of the threes that he takes off the dribble and he migrates those to, i I'm going to get catch and shoot shots. I feel confident. I'm going to get those shots. Like I know my shot number is going to be a little bit decreased, but still be high enough for me to feel okay about it. Like, there's no reason Russ can't be really good in that capacity. Like That's an ideal scenario is that he keeps his finishing numbers at the rim. He adjusts to having all that shooting around him and that enables his assists to go where they need to go. That's one of the things I'm really interested to see is like Harden's assist numbers have kind of dipped lately. Russ has been top three in, in, in assists like the last eight years. Um, how does that balance out with each other? Because you have one of – in my opinion, James Harden is the best passer in the NBA. I have a hard time explaining this. Russ is a great assist creator. He's not a great passer. He's genuinely awesome at delivering passes to specific functions that are impossible to guard. Like, he's going to draw the defender, and he's able to dump it off. Like, Clint Capella is going to get so many easy ones coming out of the dunker spot if he's still on the team. Like, he's going to be – like, he's going to have a high level. Um, Russ is able to pass certain spots on the perimeter really well. Not all of them, but the ones that he passes to, he passes to really well because he understands certain functions. Harden can make any pass on the floor. So like finding that balance between them, I think, is going to be a really interesting thing to watch.
1: One of the interesting articles that I've seen in the aftermath of all this was by Michael Lee at The Athletic, and he talks about what drew Russ to Houston, why this was his preference, and a lot of us assumed because of the incredibly tight relationship between Westbrook and Harden, and clearly that's part of it, but Michael Lee said some of it too was that Russ really wanted to play in the Mike D'Antoni system that he liked, and you talked about this in your last answer, the amount of shooters that Houston typically surrounds their guards with, and that's not something that he's had a ton of in Oklahoma City. Do you buy that this system is a lot better for him, at least offensively, than what he's been the last couple of years with Billy Donovan? I think
0: like a lot of things with this, it's going to go to an extreme either way. I think the reason he wants it is the reason guys talk about loving playing for Mike. Uh, I talked to Wilson Chandler a lot about this. Like, Wilson Chandler has always wanted to play for Mike D'Antoni again. I I was honestly surprised when in free agency he didn't go to Houston because that's how much he wanted to play under Mike D'Antoni again. Uh, Wilson told me he was like, I've never played for a coach that made me feel as empowered to shoot. Just, you're... Mike's never mad at you for making uh, an offensive decision. Like, even if it's like, Mike. So many coaches are gonna be like, "What are you doing? Get the ball to our best player." What are you doing? Run the set. Mike's just like, "Nah, I thought you could shoot it, shoot it." I'm on that. Like, he believes so much in the principles and in empowering players it has a real effect on guys. Now, we haven't seen those percentages in Houston, I think because of the volume, right? Like, there hasn't been just, like, a lot of crack sh- shooters in Houston. Houston hasn't been at the top of the ranks in catch-and-shoot numbers um, in terms of percentage. They've been obviously there in volume, and that's probably, like, the drag. They're trying to figure out, like, Mike makes shooters more confident, but they haven't actually shot better in Houston but they've shot so many more, yep. it makes you wonder if like, there's a correlation there that we're just kind of missing. I think that a lot of it is like Russ knows that he's – there's not – I mean for a guy that whose entire motto is why not, whose entire life is built on a do what I do-what-I-want, a Mike D'Antoni system that empowers players to do what they want I think seems very freeing to him. Um, I think that Billy Donovan was always trying to run a system built for Russ. Like this needs to be emphasized. The Oklahoma City Thunder did everything they could to build around Russell and make the entire team what he needed. And you can say, but they never got shooters. They tried. They were unable to gener- to bring in the guys that they wanted as shooters around Russ. But they built the offense around him. However, within those constraints, Billy's the kind of coach that's going to say, like, that's not what we do. Like, we, this is what we do. A little bit more disciplined. So the question is, does freedom make his numbers go up because of confidence – which uh, Russell Westbrook with more confidence is a terrifying thought, um, or does that make him sloppy? And then on top of it is like, I, this is the one thing I don't know that the Houston guys are going to have to answer. I just don't know what, what role Maury Ball plays in all this. I don't know what role their belief, I know that they've always said, they've been adamant over and over again, look, if the mid-range is the most efficient shot, that's what we're going to go for. With Russ, though, you can definitively say it is not. His two-dribble jumper is the worst shot in his arsenal. It's the worst shot that Russ has, is his two-dribble jumper, particularly from range. Okay, so my question is, I don't know what, how much Mike's going to be like, mm, we don't really want you to take that shot there, and what Russ's reaction is going to be to that. Um, these are the kind of things that I think are concerning, is like, what are Mike's expectations? And if he has no expectations and he's just like, that's Russell Westbrook, he can figure it out. Well, then you're in the same place Oklahoma city was in which Russ just did whatever he wanted. Only he's doing it next to Harden. And maybe that's a good formula because the Thunder won a lot of games, but OKC's defense was always better than Houston's. So like, that's to me is like the crux of the tension is, is it going to be a good thing to empower Russell and to what degree and to what end and how he willing to work within what they
1: want i do want to ask you a little bit about the defense clearly it's going to change some in houston you have elston turner as your lead assistant effectively your defensive coordinator in place of jeff Bezdalek. in terms of going from russell or from chris paul to russell westbrook obviously westbrook is a better rebounder and that's something that when you look at their decline from 2018 (laughs) to 2019 russ in terms of the defensive rebounding presence he provides that should help you however aside from the rebounding Clearly, Chris Paul has a much better defensive reputation, even at age 34, than Russ does. Over his career, Russ has been known as something of a ball watcher. With that said, you pointed to a couple of numbers the last couple of years that suggest that maybe Westbrook has taken some strides, that he's not the liability he was, say, in that 2017 MVP season. Just your thoughts on if he's better now defensively, Russell Westbrook, than he was two or three years ago. short answer is yes is that he's better than he was in 2017 he's not as good as he was in 2016
0: okay um and this year i think that he was better than he was in 2018 so i think that like there was there was an apex in 2016 where he was really good uh and then a slide the last two seasons and then in 2019 i thought that he was really Really, really good. Um, he's given better effort on closeouts. The numbers haven't been there to show that that's been an impact, but he's just stayed closer. He hasn't gotten lost off ball as much. Um, he's like a lot of guys, kind of like Harden. If you engage him off ball, it's going to work out badly for you. He's got quick hands. He's got great athleticism. He doesn't like being challenged. He takes it as an affront. Um, we're seeing this with a lot of the star players that basically it's like it's not that you could just like ISO them and then go around them. Like that's Steph. That's test liability, right? Um, it's that if you take him off ball, they just don't engage enough. Yep. And Russ, I think, really engaged last year. He engaged in the passing lanes. He played within the system. Uh, he gave really good – like the effort was there. And that that mental effort to be able to make a play – like this is something I've talked about with players. Like I asked Andre Iguodala once. I was like, everyone says that it's just effort. Is that true? And he was like, yes. <laughs> He's <laughs> like – he was like, it's mostly effort. And he said, but the difference is that everybody thinks it's just like how hard do you try, and it's more of how hard do you focus? Do you do you make the decision? I'm gonna, I am going to try and run out and make this play. Uh, I am gonna run out and make this closeout. I am gonna make this first step and make sure he can't get around me. Are you dialed in enough to be ready to make that physical move? And are you willing to understand what you can and can't do and how you have to adjust to it? Like that's the other part of it is. A lot of it is like you have to understand I can't stop this guy, so I need to drive him to help. And Russ has always been, I think, really good at that because he's had Stephen Adams behind him, and they will probably be fine with Clint Capella behind him as well. Um, but I do think that he's, he struggles a lot. There, there are times like with Harden where he just disconnects. He's just out of it. Like he's just not engaged. And the other problem is that he has the opposite problem sometimes too, which Harden doesn't do this. Uh, versus guys like Ricky Rubio, who he has a personal vendetta against, yep. um, there are certain guys he just goes too hard at. Like, if they play the Clippers in, in a series, Russ is going to try too hard versus Patrick Beverly on both ends of the floor. He's going to be too, because it is personal for him. Like, he is personally engaged and he believes I can beat you and I will beat you. And that costs them massively versus the Jazz. They lost the Jazz series because Andre Robertson was hurt and because Russell Westbrook tried to do too much versus Ricky Rubio. Like, that was why they lost that series. So, um, that's kind of the danger is, like, he's better defensively, but there are all these, like, you got to make sure he doesn't do this or it's going to get bad, and that can be an issue. But, um, if they're able to get the defense, I'll put it this way, if the Rockets' defense is good this year, then Westbrook's going to look totally fine, and everybody's going to be like, "Yeah, it has been really good? Westbrook. If the Rockets' defense slips again this year, it's going to be more glaring on Westbrook than it will be on Harden.
1: Finishing up here with Matt Moore, senior NBA writer with the Action Network. This is Locked on Rockets. I'm your host, Ben Dubose. In this final segment, I want to quickly turn to the rest of the roster and what the Rockets can surround Russell Westbrook and James Harden with. Matt, one of the topics of discussion since the Rockets re-signed Daniel House on June 30th or agreed to it, none of these have been announced yet, which in the case of the Westbrook paul trade gives them the opportunity to expand it more on that in just a little bit. But in terms of Daniel House, there's been some discussion of going back to a larger starting five instead of having Eric Gordon at the three, going with a six foot seven longer version with Daniel House, something closer to Trevor Ariza two years ago. In terms of fitting something around Westbrook and Harden, and you know Tucker and Capella are the four and the five, does House or does Gordon make more sense with this new composition? Interesting. I think I think you
0: should try House first. I think they're going to probably wind up doing both as the season goes on, mm-hmm. uh, and not just because of injuries or slumps. I think that they'll just—they're probably going to be like, ah, this isn't great. Ah, this isn't great. Um, maybe one will work perfectly, and then maybe a situation where it's like, oh wow, that it really works with Westbrook and Gordon in the second unit. Right. Like that may be the that may be the go to is like, oh, wow, like Westbrook and Harden or Westbrook and and Gordon together is a really good combination. We need to play those two a fair amount. And when we stagger Russ and Harden there, I don't think that there's like a perfect fit. You know, I think the fact that you're asking the question that there is a question to ask indicates that there isn't there isn't an answer to this question, because if there was, we would know, like, no, you definitely need to start Eric Gordon. He's too good not to start. That's not true. Like, he, Gordon's great as a sixth man. He works great in that capacity, and he probably would like to touch the ball some from time to time. House, look, good regular season. Got overhyped a little bit by Rockets Twitter. Got got a little little too much behind Daniel, believing that he was going to be the answer. Um, and then in the playoffs, like, it's it was tough. Like, he was playing the Warriors, and that's tough. Um, I think that he could be really good. I don't know whether – this is part of it. Is Like, because House was not bad – it was immediately like he's starter caliber because the wings are so kind of iffy on Houston at this point that that's like the best option. Um, I kind of wonder if eventually they're going to find either through trade or buyout or something if they're going to find another option. Like that to me seems like probably, like they basically got to go find another another Iman Shumpert, only hope it works this time. Like they're going to have to keep searching, I think, for some wing that's going to be available. If it's Andre Igadala, that obviously solves it. Like that's, if it's Igadala, Igadala needs to start.
1: Yeah, that's Um, my next question for you, actually, which is what their needs are for the rest of free agency. Until this Westbrook deal is official, they can expand it to include Memphis, and there are reduced salary matching requirements. So in theory, if Memphis has to take in less, then maybe the Rockets don't have to give up a first for Iguodala. But clearly, it seems that for Daryl Morey, with Iggy really being the rumored top target since July 1st, since he left Golden State that it seems Daryl is prioritizing wing defense, and it sounds like you're with him, that in terms of matching up with the Clippers, the Lakers, the Jazz, the other top teams in the West, you look at the Rockets' roster now, that wing defense is their biggest deficiency. Is that fair? Yeah. Uh, They're just going to have a hard time containing perimeter penetration,
0: which was a problem for them last year. And they need stuff like, they need guys that can just challenge and kind of clog up the lane in transition that's an area um they need guys that can get like random shot blocks on stuff they can they can put a body on guys on offensive rebounds or at least challenge on putback attempts those kind of things these are all things that i think that they need the wing length for um what i don't know is if they're going to be able to get that for what they want to give up right like daryl's already leveraged pretty hard with the rust trade and i think that they're probably averse to wanting to give up any future assets but like you know he was Rockets' also, but probably thought that they weren't going to have to give up two firsts for Russ, and they did, because that's how it went. Now that was what Harden wanted, so that matters. But uh, there's been conversations about like the Iman Shumpert tra- sign and trade option. I'm like, guys, I cannot see a team being like, ooh, g- give me some of that Iman Shumpert sign and trade. Like, <laughs> if they if they want Iman Shumpert, they're probably just going to be like, hey, Iman Shumpert, do you want to come play? So, like, I don't think that that's going to be an option. Um, I don't know if the first is necessary. I'll say that. I don't, I've got, I've kind of poked around the league around it to sit to ask whether that, and I haven't gotten a clear answer on, I haven't gotten a clear answer. No, somebody else may have, but I haven't gotten a clear answer on what Houston's like demand, or what Memphis is demanding. So, um, there's definitely options, I think. And the other thing is, like, you'll get to like midway through the season and you'll have kind of more options, but there also is probably a number of, there are probably a number of guys out there that Rockets fans would consider bad or, like worrisome contracts, et cetera, that Daryl will probably look at very hard and be like, mm, no, this guy could work for us. Um, and if if Daryl has always had a better way of, of analyzing what's best for the team than most people. So I have a lot of faith that if they get to that point, that is going to find a way. Uh, uh, and I do think that may in, end up including the first. But if not, then I think that they'll be able to still uh, get Something quality by the end of the season. I expect them to do better this season fishing for wings than they did last season.
1: And for clarity, when I mention the first, it's not so much that Memphis could command it for Iggy. That remains unclear. I mention it specifically in the context of Schumpert, because you're right. No one is chomping at the bet to give Iman Schumpert a $12 million salary, even if it's just for one (laughs) year. And the last few years are non-guaranteed. So when I mention the first, it's actually to compensate for taking Schumpert. That's what you have to do because yeah. I agree with you. Other than that, no one is going to be saying, hey, let's give double digit millions to Iman Schumper just because we can, that type of thing. So,
0: yeah, but I think, I think even then, though, you know that Houston's going to be pretty good next year, right? So, you're and their long term assets are already leveraged. So, what you're basically saying is, will you take Iman Shumpert on for 12 million on your books when most everybody is within range of the cap? Um, in
1: exchange for a first round pick, that's probably going to be 22 plus. Okay.
0: Now this, this draft's better. So that may be the case, right? There may be a team that's like, Oh yeah, we'll do that. That sounds good. Um, Atlanta in particular I think would be a team that would be like, that sounds good. Uh, but I don't know what they have left to offer in return. And so that's kind of the, the key. Is like finding, those, finding the slots to all match up I think is
1: going to be kind of tough. But they do have another two months to figure it out. Uh, and I feel pretty confident they'll they'll probably, at some point during the season, like I said, I think they'll solve their wing issue. And that might be one reason that the Westbrook Paul trade is not official yet. Because this is an opportunity for Daryl if he can find the right fit to be able to bring something in salary-wise without having to send out Iman Shumpert. This could be the one opportunity. Matt, last question for you. The two guys on Friday, other than Russ, that they did bring in, or at least reached agreements with, Tyson Chandler, Anthony Bennett. Bennett obviously failed number one overall pick in 2013. They're giving him a non-guaranteed invite to training camp. At the G League level last year, his shooting numbers were really good, showed at least some promise as a stretch big tyson chandler i know he started well with the lakers seemed to run out of gas as the season moved along although the lakers had a lot of other injuries as well just curious your thoughts on those two especially chandler because i know you watch the lakers a lot more than i did not sure how many g league games you watched with anthony bennett but are either of those two potential uh, rotation players for houston next year
0: so the anthony i think the issue is uh there's two there's two things with anthony one well they're both mental that's the thing is they're both they're honestly both mental. It, Can he get past the damage that being a number one pick that failed does to you? Because it just – very few guys recover from that. Um, The list is very short of guys that have had his kind of career turns that have come back and been a rotation guy, just even in the league. It's just tough to deal with. And then two, uh, he was always a guy that there was questions about like how much he wanted it. Uh, Mm -hmm. Now, he's look, he spent the season in the G League. You do that if you're like, no, no, I really I, – I screwed up. I really want to stay in the league. I cannot squander my opportunity. So that's a good sign, um, right? And he was able to do that because he had his rookie contract. But still, look, that's a good sign that he was willing to put in the work. Uh, but that's my big thing is like, look, we can talk about the basketball stuff, but we get to figure out whether or not Anthony's like able to play, whether he's able to be – to mentally handle the NBA, which like for the record, I couldn't. I couldn't handle that kind of pressure. And even a little bit, even if I could do the, the physical stuff. So – I think that there's – got to see whether he can do that before we talk about the physical stuff. Now, with Tyson, uh, I just tend to think that, like, he can give you what what Nene gave you last season. I think that there's a good chance he gets through it and doesn't have as many injuries. I think that he can do just enough to be able to provide what they need. Like, I think he can do enough. And I think, honestly, like, part of it also is he'll be very well-liked in the locker room. He's a grown-up in the room. Him and P.J. will be really good together. And it's another guy that knows what he's doing. And I think you need as many of those as you can with where this team is geared.
1: Good perspective. Folks, he's Matt Moore. You can read his work at The Action Network. You can follow him on Twitter at HP Basketball. Matt, thanks so much for the time and look forward to talking with you again.
0: Anytime, man. Take care. I'm taking the over.
1: <laughs> I appreciate that. Good dear. So that will about do it for tonight's show on Sunday, July 14th here at Lockdown Rockets. And if you want more content before our next show, there are, of course, many ways that you can get that. First and foremost is Twitter, where I'm on there, at Ben DuBose. Matt is on there, at HP Basketball. And the show is on there, at Lockdown Rockets. Beyond that, we've got a website at com, a Facebook account at Facebook.com slash Rockets, email address LockedOnRockets at gmail.com. All of those are ways that you can access prior episodes, or you can ask me questions about the team, make suggestions for the show, those types of things. I also urge you to check out Lockdown NBA, which is the daily league-wide podcast on this Lockdown Podcast Network, because they're going to have plenty of talk this week about Russell Westbrook and the Rockets as well. And in addition to checking out our Lockdown Rockets archives, please remember that to get this show every day, the best way is to subscribe. One way to do that is with Himalaya's new podcast app, which offers personally curated playlists and new features every single day. You can also listen and subscribe at Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, and more and I encourage you to do so and to leave five-star reviews wherever you can. And when you get in your car or you go to the gym, you can even tell your smart device to play podcast Locked on Rockets and listen to our most recent episodes that way as well. Once again, I'm Ben DuBose. Thanks to all of you for listening, and please come back soon for more episodes right here at Locked on Rockets, your podcast home for everything Houston Rockets basketball.